You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. John chapter 12, here's the setting. Jesus is moving towards the cross. He has just resurrected Lazarus from the grave. And now he is moving towards the cross. And this is what is the beginning of Passion Week. He accomplished so much in this week. It is mind-boggling. Uh, John chapters 13 through 17, all of that activity in one 24-hour period in Jesus' life. Uh, he accomplished more in this week than is even imaginable, uh, and uh, he is, has his face set on the cross. And we're moving in towards the triumphal entry of King Jesus that we're going to see today. And we pick it up here in chapter 12, and it says, then six days before the Passover. What Passover? The Passover. The Passover that is the Passover that all Passovers point to. The Passover in which Jesus will be crucified on the cross. The Jews would celebrate Passover. It was one of three required feasts that they had to go to. Uh, it was required in the law. They would go to Jerusalem. And as they go, they would be commemorating in their minds the Passover of Egypt, right? When they were delivered from the bondage of slavery and brought into the glorious liberty of the children of God taken from slavery of the world and brought into a promised land. Egypt in the Bible is a picture of the world. Slavery in the Bible is a picture of sin. And they were delivered on Passover from the Egypt, from the, the, the world, Egypt, and from sin, uh, by how? How are they delivered? By putting the lamb's blood over the doorpost of their house. And on that, that day, they left Egypt and became a free people. Ever since that time, every year, annually, they would commemorate and remember uh, this Passover with a feast. And what they did not know, it was looking forward to this Passover the Passover, when the real Lamb of God would take away the sins of the world. And here we are, we are six days before that happening, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, Bethany is just right outside of Jerusalem, very close, came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been, ra who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, there they made him a supper. The they is Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They made Jesus a supper. And it's there in the house of Simon the leper, who Jesus healed. 
So an incredible setting, right? Uh, verse 2, there they, uh, all those people, made him, Jesus, a supper. And Martha served. Uh, true to nature, right? Uh, there's Martha, and what is she doing? She's serving, only this time with joy. Uh, I love watching all of your gifts, all of your God-given gifts, all of the unique ways that God has wired you and fashioned you. Rachel, I watch how you serve, and, and Noah, I watch how you serve, and each of you, I watch your day, and it's what you were made for, and Martha, this is what she was made for. She was just a server, right? Only now she's doing it with joy. Before she was mad, you know, why isn't Mary helping? And now she's just, she's overjoyed. She's in the right place. Uh, Martha served, and look at this. Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him, with Jesus. Lazarus, what is he doing? He's sitting at the table. Can you imagine? He was dead, and now he's sitting at the table with Jesus. Amazing. Then, verse 3, then Mary, again, true to form, this is Lazarus' sister, Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Uh, what a beautiful setting. Uh, let's look at it just for a little bit. Do you think when Mary did this, do you think it was premeditated? Or do you think she was just there and she's in awe? I mean, Jesus re resurrected her brother. Uh, Jesus healed Simon the leper. Uh, here's this house. I mean, uh, si Simon the leper, think about this. You have leprosy. That means you can't be with anyone. You can't have any fellowship. When you walk down the street, you have to yell, unclean, unclean. You got to wear a mask 24-7, right? I mean, crazy. Talk about isolation. And now Simon the leper healed by Jesus. And what does he do? He throws a party in his house, a dinner party for Jesus. And there Mary just moved by the love. I, throw, I, just, I think she goes, oh my gosh, I have something. And I bet she walks over to her dresser, opens it up, pulls it out and says, I'm going to and she just spontaneously worships Jesus and pours this oil on his feet. Oh, how incredible the setting. What a beautiful setting it is. And here's what we see. Here's what's happening. Jesus' fame is exploding. Jesus is renowned. Jesus, he's missed. his profound teachings have inspired the souls of so many people. They hear his words, and these words just give life. When he speaks, you're like, oh my gosh, this is a message to me. And it impacts the soul, and it changes the life. And he's healing. He's doing all these incredible things. The lame are walking. The lepers are healed. The deaf can hear. The blind can see. The sick are made well. Blind Bartimaeus is now seeing Bartimaeus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And now on top of it all, Jesus 
has raised Lazarus from the dead. And huge crowds are now following Jesus. There's a historian, an ancient historian by the name of Josephus. Uh, he wrote a, a history books called the Antiquities of the Jews. And he is known for being incredibly accurate in his writings. I've read uh, some of his works. They're, they're, they're great if you ever want to look at them. But Josephus writes that at this Passover, there were 2.7 million people in Jerusalem. And they are all there to see Jesus. They're all talking about Jesus. Oh my gosh. The town is a buzz. Hey, did you hear? Yeah, there's this guy. His name's Jesus. I think he might be the Messiah. He raised this guy from the dead. He heals lepers. Oh, and I've heard when he teaches, it just moves the soul. And Jesus' fame is being spoke of everywhere. Everyone is looking for Jesus. Everyone is searching for him. And they're all asking this question, is Jesus going to come to the Passover? If you read the end of chapter 11 in John, you will see they were asking this question because they knew, they knew the religious leaders were jealous of Jesus. And the religious leaders hated Jesus. Oh, he's so popular. His ministry is growing. Ours is shrinking. Uh, we look like fools. He looks wise. We have nothing to say. He gives life and life abundantly with his words. He is gaining and we are shrinking. And they hated him and they want to kill him. And everybody knew it. And so 2.7 million people there coming to Passover to worship and they're all looking for Jesus and they're wondering, is he going to come? And the consensus was, I don't think he's going to come because the religious leaders want to kill him. Nevertheless, Jesus sets his face towards the cross. And here we see that J Jesus is systematically moving towards the cross. This is his pur purpose. Passover is only six days away, and he knows that this Passover is the Passover that every Passover has been pointing to. Every Passover was a prophetic foreshadow of the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world and deliver people from the bondage of sin, from the slavery of sin, and bring them in to a promised land. And Jesus knows in six days he is going to die. As we consider this, think about what that felt like for Jesus. As we consider this, I want you to know Jesus' crucifixion was no accident. This was planned from the beginning of time. This was the Passover that was planned before God created the universe. And Jesus' resurrection of Lazarus was strategic. It wasn't just happenstance. No, no, no. It was strategic. Why? Why did Jesus resurrect Lazarus? You'll remember Jesus, uh, the Bible tells us, Jesus loves Mary 
and Martha and Lazarus. Not my opinion. The Bible tells us that specifically. And you'll remember when Lazarus got sick, Mary sent a messenger to him and saying, hey, the servant who you love, Lazarus, is sick. What was she hoping for? Jesus would come and heal her. Jesus gets the message, and the Bible tells us he waits two days. And then word comes to him that Lazarus has died. Uh, And Jesus then goes to Mary and Martha and Lazarus' house. And when he gets there, what does he find? Mary and Martha are a bit torqued. Jesus, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. What were they looking for? A healing. What did Jesus want to do? Expand their understanding of who Jesus is. Guess what Jesus wants to do in your life this morning? Expand your understanding of who he is. No matter where you are, you might be a scholar and a scribe and a theologian, or you might be a brand new believer, makes no difference. Jesus wants to expand our understanding of who he is. And that's what he's doing in the life of Mary and Martha. They thought he was a healer. He wants them to know, I am God in the flesh. And Jesus comes after Mary is, shows her disapproval. If you would have been here, my brother would have been healed. Jesus said, Mary, your brother will rise again. And Mary, being a good theologian, she says, oh, I know. He'll resurrect at the last day, at the resurrection. Uh, I know he'll resurrect. And Jesus says, Mary, the resurrection is not a day. The resurrection is me. I am the resurrection, and I am the life. And he says, take me to him. And so they take him to the grave. And I love the the King James Version. Mary says, Lord, he's been dead for four days. By now, he stinketh. (laughs) He's decomposing. His organs are rotted. There is no way. And Jesus says, didn't I say I would raise him? And he goes to the grave and with no fanfare, with no big hoopla, with just a word, Jesus walks to the grave and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And there out of the grave, comes this guy bound in grave clothes like a mummy. Let me out of this thing. Let me out of this thing. Right? And they unwrap him. Right? (laughs) Wow. What is Jesus doing? Here's what he's doing. He knows he is on his journey to the cross and he is building his disciples. Not just the twelve, all of his disciples. He is showing that he is sovereign even over life and death. He has told them, I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to resurrect. 
and to show you that I have the power to resurrect not only myself, but all of you. Lazarus, come forth. I love how Jesus prepares us for what we're going to go through in the future. Maybe you're going through something right now. I want you to know the Lord is at work if you are his. If you have made him Lord of your life, the Lord is at work. And I love that. Everything that you are going through, he is preparing you for the future if we will but listen, if we will but understand. And what a tender moment this must be at this dinner party for Jesus and for the family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and for Simon the leper. What a tender spirit must be in the room, a bond of love, a bond of unity. Everyone is just so grateful to be loved so deeply by Jesus, and they're there, and Mary just busts out a $30,000 bottle of oil and worships at Jesus' feet, so lavish. I absolutely love it. And it's interesting, isn't it? It's a strange paradox, as a matter of fact. It's very peculiar. That people who have had a near-death experience are often more appreciative of life than those who have never been ill. May we be grateful for all that God has given us. May we be thankful for all his good favor that he has poured upon us. Here in this house, they're all so thankful. They're all deeply moved. And, uh, uh, you know, again, Mary busts open this $30,000 bottle of oil and she just pours it on his feet and she's in tears and she just falls at his feet and washes her, her, his feet with her hair. And, and it reveals something. Love is so powerful. This is lavish worship. And to her, it is nothing. It's just the joy that is on her heart to do it. Love is powerful. This is why the Bible instructs us to keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself understanding and in the spot uh, Jude would tell us, keep yourself in the love of God. That means keep yourself in the place where you're aware and you're cognizant in your meditations. You're thinking about God's love for you because love is powerful. It'll transform your life. I am in awe, church, of how you serve Jesus. I look at the leaders of this church. It's just amazing. Uh, the way you serve. So much work going on here all the time. I mean, there's, there's ministries happening here every single day. And I love the way uh, the leaders of this church serve. Uh, I look at Lorenzo or, or Pastor JC or, or Julie in Awana and, and all our mission group leaders, uh, all of you. I mean, not just the staff. I mean, all, all of you guys. It's amazing. And love is powerful. It moves the soul to lavish worship. If your marriage is a bit rough, oh, I would encourage you to let love empower your marriage again. The secret is staying in the love of Christ. You say, I'm having a hard time with my marriage because I can't forgive them. Hey, remember how much God has forgiven you. Let yourself delight in the love that God has for you. A love is such a powerful tool.
And what a tender moment that this is for this family. But here's the truth of it. Not everyone loved Jesus. Many were too self-absorbed to receive Jesus' love. Staggering to consider. Their hearts were not moved by Jesus' love. And uh, we're going to see that. Take a look at what happens. Verse 4. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? A denarii was a day wage for a laborer. So 300 denarii was a year's wage for the common worker. And Judah says, why wasn't this, hey, wait a minute. Why this waste? We could have used that to feed the poor. Look at verse 6. This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the money box. And he used to take what was in it. Uh, here, John, uh, uh, one of the last Gospels written, this is written in hindsight, right? John didn't know this at the time. None of the disciples knew this at the time. They all thought Judas was a good guy. But now John, looking back, goes, oh, I know why he said that, right? Uh, and here's something very interesting. Judas comes in with a critical spirit. Here there's a house of worship. Everyone's in unity. Love is in the air. Everyone is, is just in awe of Jesus. And Judas comes in with a critical spirit. Hey, wait a minute. Why don't we? That was a lot. Of, we could have done a lot of ministry with that. And I want you to know something. Beware of critical spirits. They will quench the work that God is trying to do in our midst. And I am sure that the other disciples probably then stopped for a minute and said, yeah, maybe we should have used that 30 grand for something else. But I want you to know the kernel, the source of a critical spirit. The source of a critical spirit is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness always produces a critical spirit. And why was Judas self-righteous? Well, he was so self-absorbed on what he wanted, on his plans, on his will, that he couldn't receive the love of Jesus. Beware of self-righteousness. The Apostle Paul would tell us in Romans to humble ourselves. If you are in a marriage and you are a critical spirit, you just seem to be bugged all the time by your spouse, can I tell you something about you? You are self-righteous. You are thinking too highly of yourself. If in your workplace you are always bugged by the boss or by whoever and you're just critical spirit, here's the problem. You have a high view of self. You're self-righteous. 
And Paul would tell us in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is just your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the word of God, that you might know, that you might experience that perfect will of God. For I say to you, by the grace given to me, Paul would say, to everyone that is among you, not to think of himself, what? More highly than he ought to think. Why was Judas critical? Because he thought of himself more highly than he ought to think. And because he thought of himself more highly than he ought to think, he wasn't able to receive the love of Jesus. Oh, how tragic. What a pain, what a shame, what a waste. And look what Jesus answers, verse 7. Jesus said, leave her alone. Don't you love that? She has kept this for the day of my burial. She probably thought she was saving it for her wedding. But in her lavish worship, she broke it at Jesus' feet. And Jesus said, She's done this for the day of my burial. Jesus has just announced that his death is at hand. She's done this for my burial. Look what he says, verse 8. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. I want you to know something. Worship of Jesus always trumps good works. Worship always trumps good works. You worship Jesus, good works are going to just flow out of you everywhere you go. But you focus on good works, and you'll miss the whole picture. Worship always trumps good works. Verse 9, now a great many of the Jews knew that he, Jesus, was there. And they had come, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, this guy who was dead, man. They wanted to see Lazarus. Wouldn't you want to see a guy who was raised from the dead? I would. Hey, Laz, what was that like? Right? Like, what happened? What did you hear when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth? Okay. You know? What was it like? And here we see something interesting about how God works. A lot of people come to the, to the feast, to the religious event, but not to see Jesus. They come with other motives, and nothing has changed. Today, here in this room, there are some who have come not to see Jesus. They want to meet a guy. They want to meet a girl. Or they just like the good people that are here. This is a fun place to be. This is a good, it's nice. Or they wanted free donuts and free coffee or whatever, right? I mean, and you know what I say? Or they want to network and, and they don't come to see Jesus. And you know what I say to that? Let them come. Let them come. Why? Because if we can get them to take their eyes off of whatever they came for and get their eyes on Jesus, their life will be transformed. If you came here this morning because you're having problems and you need your finances fixed or you need whatever, hey, I would encourage you, man, get your eyes on this Jesus. 
and let him take care of everything else. He's amazing, right? He's just amazing. Verse 10, but the chief priest plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, uh, his Lazarus being resurrected from the grave, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Two things I want to give you here. Uh, number one, the power of a changed life, the power of a life changed by Jesus. Lazarus, uh, what did he do? He did nothing, right? Uh, he just, Jesus said, Lazarus came forth and Lazarus came forth. He did nothing, but his life has been transformed by Jesus. And that is influencing everyone. I want you to know something. Walk with Jesus and you will be a builder of men and women. Your life will just impact others when you make Jesus the Lord of your life. The second thing I want you to see is this. Not only the power of a changed life, but I also want to give us a warning. Who do the Jews, who do the religious leaders want to kill now? Lazarus. Who do they want to kill first? Jesus. Now they want to kill two people. And here's what I want us to see. Sin always compounds. Sin always compounds and takes us further than we ever planned on going tell one lie and here's what I know about you guess what's coming another lie anytime we sin it will always compound give in to lust Give in to gluttony. Give in to drink. Give in to, and here's what I know. It will compound. Try to gain your value from the wrong things in life. Be all about money. And here's what I know. It will compound. Here they are planning one murder. And now that they're planning one murder, now they have to plan two murders. And there will be a bunch of more sin that compounds on top of that like lying and deception and uh, you know all kinds of, of evil that is going to come out of this interesting that not all hearts are moved by the love of Jesus here is this beautiful dinner party and yet these hearts are not moved because of their own selfish agenda <laughs> Think about it. What was it like to be in Jesus' presence? What would it be like to see him? You know, so much is communicated by body gesture and facial expressions. And uh, behavior scientists tell us that 70% of our communication is nonverbal. What would it be like to be in Jesus' presence and to see him? Oh, my gosh. What would it be like to audibly hear his words? What would it be like to touch him? Oh, I long for the day. We know how powerful his teachings are. I read Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and I am in awe. I've been studying it for over 30 years, and I cannot find the depths of its profound truths. It takes me deeper every time I study it. What would it be like to hear him speak the words? What would it be like to hear your creator speak to you audibly?
oh my gosh. I know that he has spoken to me by his spirit in my heart. And it has brought me to my knees countless times. What would it be like to stand in his presence? And I tell you, oh, I long for the day. I often dream about it. I can't wait till he calls me home. I have no death wish, don't get me wrong, but I can't wait till he calls me home. And when I die, do not feel sorry for me. Man, I haven't died. I have just graduated. And I long for the day. And how amazing it would be, right? But here is what is so astonishing. We can get so self-absorbed. We can get so consumed in our own pursuits that we remain unchanged at his voice. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Such was the case for Judas. Such was the case for the religious leaders. This is why Jesus would often finish his teachings with a very unusual phrase. Say it after me once you know it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. What's that? Don't we all have ears to hear? Well, we all have physical ears, but not all of us are hearing. Why? Because some of us are so self-absorbed that we can't hear or receive the love of Christ and his message to us. We're so preoccupied with our own agenda that we can't receive his agenda. And what a shame. Think about it. Judas watched Mary burst this $30,000 bottle of oil on Jesus' feet and be moved with emotion to worship. Lavish worship. And it did not move his heart. Judas saw her do it, but he didn't see anything. Jesus said, Lazarus, leave her alone. She does this for the day of my burial. But he did not hear anything. He was so self-righteous and so focused on his own agenda. And it's easy to be that way. Judas couldn't see it. Judas couldn't hear it. Here's the question. Do you have ears to hear this morning? When God speaks, do you perceive it? We are so easily distracted, are we not? I think this is really true. I think all of us have spiritual ADD. <laughs> and if there was spiritual Ritalin, I would take it, right? I mean, because <laughs> I'm prone to wander. And can I share something with you? There is spiritual Ritalin. It's called prayer and fasting. Let the words of my heart, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord. Let me stop from all the activities that I'm doing and let me just focus and meditate on you, Lord. Let me hear your voice. You see, I have to put away my agenda in order to be able to hear from the Lord. As we move into this Passion Week, oh, I would encourage you, get some time alone with your creator. Put your agenda aside so you can hear from him. Here's a good thing this week we might want to try. Maybe let's let's take a break from TV and from social media. 
And let's sit before Jesus. Let's put away our agenda that we might hear him. Right? Uh, um, Read John chapter 13 through chapter 17, one day of Jesus' life. Read through the end of the book of John, all that Jesus accomplished in the last six days. Read through the Gospels, the Passion Week, all that he did in these last six days. Oh, it is simply incredible. Uh, When you come to church... Listen to me, church. When you come to fellowship on Sunday, good on you. You're taking such a good step. I'm so, so way to go being here. You're saying, Jesus, it's the first day of the week. And before I do anything, I want to worship you. It's, the, it's, the, it's how I want to start my week. That is really wise. But do you know what can happen? We can forget what we're doing and just come in without even thinking And so we come to church a little bit late and we're a bit rushed and we're yelling at the kids or we're eating this or we're doing that or we're taking this phone call and we come in and we come sit down and we don't talk and we get and we don't even prepare ourselves. Here's what I would say. Don't let that keep you from receiving all that God wants to speak to you. Come early to church. Have some fellowship outside before church starts. And be the first one in the chair before worship starts and calm yourself before the Lord and listen to the music and let the worship team take you to the throne room of heaven so that when uh, you come, you're worshiping. And then when you hear the word, you can receive because Jesus is speaking. And he's always speaking to his church. Don't miss out like Judas did, like the religious leaders did. And now we will see this triumphal entry of Jesus. Jesus keeps his face uh, moving towards the cross. Look what happens. The next day, verse 12, the next day, uh, it was six days before the Passover, right? Uh, And now the next day, it's five days before the Passover. Uh, The Passover was on Friday. That makes this Sunday, right? Uh, Palm Sunday. The next day. A great multitude that had come to the feast. When they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. There we see it. What Josephus said, right? 2.7 million people. And you say, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. The, the Passover is on Friday. Why are they coming early? Well, that's how you celebrated the feast of Passover. Exactly the things I just talked about coming to church. That's how you celebrate the, piece of, the feast of Passover. If you look at chapter 11, look at verse 55, look what it says, 1155, and the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to do what? Purify themselves, to make themselves ready to hear from God. This was the instruction in God's word, which makes it very interesting, by the way, We move now back to Exodus. You don't have to turn there, but to the instruction of the first Passover, what would they do? Well, God did something very, very interesting. Before the Passover, he tells Moses, Moses, all the children of Israel are going to be set free tomorrow on Passover. And I want you to know something. It's going to be the beginning of months. In other words, the calendar changed. Something very interesting happened. The calendar changed when they came out of Egypt. What happened when Jesus went to the cross? The calendar changed. God's sovereignty is unbelievable. 
And he says, back, back now to Moses. Moses, the calendar is going to change. It's going to be the first day of the month. Here's what I want you to do. On the 10th day of the month, I want you to take a lamb into your house. And I want you to keep it until the Passover. And then on the Passover, I want you to sacrifice that animal and put the blood over the door of your house. And guess who is coming in five days before the Passover? The lamb is coming into the house. Do you understand? Jesus is entering in the triumphal entry. Jesus rides in on Palm Sunday. Uh, amazing, amazing. I hope that made sense to you all. Uh, so they heard Jesus was coming. The multitudes heard that Jesus is coming in. Here he comes in riding on a donkey. Look at verse 13. And they took the branches of palm trees and they went out to meet Jesus. And they cried out saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. I want you to underline those words, the King of Israel. What did they just do? They just proclaimed Jesus the king of Israel. And they all shouted. What did they shout? Let me hear you say it all together. Let's hear you shout it. Shout it loud. What does it mean? Save us. Save us, king of Israel. Save us. Amazing. Then the Jews, excuse me, then Jesus, verse 14, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Uh, daughter of Zion just means fear not, child of God. For behold, your king, there it is again, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples did not understand these things at first. They didn't get it. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered the things which were written about him, the prophecies that were told about him, uh, and that he had done these things to him. Uh, here's uh, an interesting thing. The disciples did not understand these things. They didn't understand these things about Jesus and his kingdom. And today, not much has changed. Few understand Jesus and his kingdom. If you would go out on Carlsbad Village Drive today and interview a hundred people and ask them, who is Jesus? You would get all kinds of answers. He was a good man. He was a good teacher. You know, all kinds of things. But you know what answer you would not get? You would not get, he is the king of kings. Because there's confusion about his kingdom. From Jesus' birth till now, there has been an enigma of Jesus' kingdom and his kingship. People simply do not understand King Jesus. And it's been that way always. When the wise men were moved by God to come, hey, the king is here. They came from the east and they came to Jerusalem and ultimately they go to Bethlehem and what do they find? This king is a baby and he's lying in a feeding trough, an animal feeding trough and his parents are dirt poor. 
Who is this king? What kind of king is this? At Jesus' birth, when King Herod heard about this king being born, he goes out and orders the slaughter of the innocents. And the world wonders, what kind of king is this? At Jesus' crucifixion, the soldiers mocked him. And they said, yeah, some king. And they put a robe on him. And they put a reed in his hand like a scepter of a king. And they said, oh, prophesy to us, king. And they did not understand Jesus' kingdom. And amazingly, Jesus allowed it. He could have, with a single word, smote them all dead. And yet he allowed it. Pilate, after careful examination, after a trial, after a scourging that we're going to look at on Good Friday, after he examined Jesus thoroughly, came to this conclusion and wrote these words, Jesus, the King of the Jews. But what a strange kingdom. Several times in Jesus' ministry, when he fed the 5,000 or when he spoke and taught, when he did these miracles, the people would try to hail him as king, but he would not allow it. What a strange king. What a strange kingdom. But now, on this day, on Palm Sunday, Jesus rides in on a donkey and proclaims himself as the king of Israel. And all of Israel goes after him and says, Hosanna. The disciples didn't understand these things at the time, but afterwards they understood why, why. Here's why. Because the Holy Spirit was given after Jesus went to the cross. And Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, I'm not going to leave you orphans. Listen, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be crucified, but I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm still going to lead, guide, and direct you into all truth. And I'm going to do it through the Holy Spirit. He is the person of God. He is not a force. He is not a power. He is the person of God. And he will take all the things that I have taught you, John 14, and he will bring them to your remembrance. He will not speak of himself. It will not be all about the Holy Spirit. It'll be about me, Jesus said. He will take the things that I have taught you and bring them to your remembrance. And John writes, proving this to be true, we didn't understand these things at first, but then the Holy Spirit came, illuminated our eyes, and gave us understanding, and now we understand. Oh, how incredible. And today this enigma remains about Jesus because Jesus is a king like no other. And the first thing we see about Jesus' kingdom is that he is a sovereign king. All of this was planned from the beginning of time. Hosanna is what they were crying out. Uh, Matthew's gospel even gives more detail. He said, Matthew, go in and, and, and you're going to find these donkeys and they're going to be tied up and you're going to ask for them and, and you're going to take them. And the guy's going to say, what are you doing taking my donkeys? And he says, oh, the master needs them. And he was doing all this to show that he was sovereign over every single detail. 
detail of this. No one takes my life from me, Jesus said. I lay it down willingly. And he's showing his sovereignty in in every step. Even the words Hosanna were prophesied. Flip over, if you will, to Psalm 118. This is a phenomenal psalm. Uh, Go fast because I'm running us out of time. (laughs) Psalm 118. Find your way there real quick. Psalm 118. If you're a Bible scholar, you know that Psalm 113 through Psalm 118 are called the Hallel Psalms. Hallel Psalms. Hallel is a Hebrew word. Do Do you know what it means? Say it if you know it. It means praise praise. These are the psalms of praise. They're called the Hallel Psalms. Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. Here's what is significant about them. Every year when the Jews would make their pilgrimage from the villages that they lived in to Jerusalem at Passover, they would sing these psalms. God's design. Guess who Psalm 118 happens to be all about? Jesus and his crucifixion. Take a look at this. Uh, Psalm 118, verse 21. If you're there, give me a big amen. Amen. I will praise you, for you have answered me. Who's the you there in that passage? Not Jesus. uh, more, More generically. Who's the you? God. I will praise you, God, for you have answered me. It's probably capitalized in your Bible, meaning it's God. I will praise you, God, for you have answered me. And look at this. And have become my what? God has become my salvation? That's the gospel in the Old Testament. God becoming my salvation. Look at this, verse 22. For the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. The stone which the builders rejected, Jesus taught in Matthew 21, was him. The builders were who? Who were the builders of Israel? The religious leaders. The foundation stone which the builders, the religious leaders rejected, is the very foundation stone. Oh my goodness. And look at this, verse 23. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. It's astonishing, is what it's saying. It's astonishing that the religious leaders would reject the very Messiah. The very God that came to visit them, they would reject. It's astonishing in our eyes. Look at verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. What day are we talking about? The day that God becomes our salvation. When did that happen? On the cross. This is the day, the day that Jesus went to the cross. This is the day that the Lord has made from the foundation of the earth. And we will be glad and rejoice in it. Planned before the beginning of time by this sovereign king. 
Oh my gosh. We often quote this verse. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad on it. And we think of it as something else. No, no, no. What day is that referring to? It's always referring to the cross of Jesus Christ. Look at this now. Verse 25. Read with me the first four words here. Read them out loud. Save now, I pray. In Hebrew, you would have just said, Hosanna. Save now is Yosh, I pray, is Anna. Hosanna is save now, I pray, Hosanna. And that's what they're shouting out as he rides in on Palm Sunday. Hosanna, O Lord. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Blessed is he who is Yahweh. Again, the gospel in the Old Testament. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. God is Yahweh and he has given us light. What does it mean he's given us light? It means that he has given us understanding into these things. It means that our eyes have been opened, our heart has received, our ears have heard. The psalmist would write, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It means it illuminates my steps. He's saying, oh, we understand. Uh, God is Yahweh and he has given us light and he is going to the cross. He is, this is the day the Lord has made. Look at this. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. Who's the sacrifice? Yahweh. Oh my gosh. When you would go to the temple, you would come in and the first thing you would see would be a giant bronze altar right when you walked in. It was front center when you walked into the gates of the temple. And there on the corners of the altar were four horns, one on each corner. And you would take your lamb that you were offering as a sin offering and you would tie it up to one of those horns. And you'd confess your sins on it. And here it's a picture of Jesus. Bind the sacrifice. Bind Yahweh with cords to the horns of the altar. You are my God. I will praise you. You are my God. I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to Yahweh for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Oh my gosh, is this not incredible? And here's what we see. Jesus is a king like no other, a sovereign king. All of this was proclaimed. All of this was foretold. Uh, They are crying out, Hosanna. That is exactly what happened. All of it's happening. And Jesus is moving towards the cross. Even the donkey he is riding on was prophesied ahead of time. Zechariah 9.9 on your screens real quick. Let's take a look at this. Let me hear you read this, church. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just, having salvation, lowly, and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. All of this foretold, all of this prophesied, showing that Jesus is the sovereign king.
And on the surface, it looks amazing, right? Everything is moving in the right direction. 2.7 million people, all of them praising, all of them talking about Jesus, all worshiping, all of them saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. It looks like everything is going so well. They're embracing his Messiah. Hey, this is the one. He's the guy that raised Lazarus from the dead. He's the one who heals. He's the one who teaches. This is him. Hosanna, save us, save us. But what is so strange is Jesus is riding in on this donkey and the other gospels tell us as he's riding in, what is Jesus doing? He's weeping. Why? It looks like everything is going so well. All the disciples are stoked. Finally, he's setting up his kingdom. Even Judas is stoked. This is good. This is what I wanted. And Jesus is weeping. Why? Here's why. He knows they are shouting out Hosanna. But they are not saying, save us from our sins. They are saying, save us from our problems. Big difference. Save us from Rome. Overthrow Rome. Take, get rid of this oppression. Get rid of these heavy taxes that are making us poor. Make us prosperous. Make us rich. We want prosperity, Jesus. And to that end, Jesus weeps bitterly and says, Oh, Israel, how I wanted to gather you as a Hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing, and that this you did not recognize, this your day of visitation. This very day, by the way, prophesied in the book of Daniel, to the very day that Jesus would ride in on Palm Sunday. Uh, a date that started from, uh, well, I won't even go into it all, but uh, the very day, and Jesus says, you've got the wrong motive, and I'm not interested. Jesus is the sovereign king, and here we see in his sovereignty, he is weeping. And we know that this is the case because the very people that said, Hosanna, save us from our problems, overthrow Rome. The very people that said that when Jesus was arrested and brought under the power of Rome and underneath Pilate, and they saw that he wasn't going to overthrow Rome. That was obvious. Those same people who said Hosanna now said, crucify him. We don't want that Messiah. If he can't overthrow Rome, we don't want it. And Jesus, in his sovereignty, keeps his face focused on the cross. He will not be moved by all the fame. He will not be moved by uh, all the accolades of people, all the praise of man. Uh, he won't be moved by the crowds. He is only moved by the will of God and he sets his face to the cross. And this we see that this king like no other, not only is he a sovereign king, he is also a king who is fully man and fully God. No wonder we cannot understand him. No wonder we cannot understand him. Did you catch the words in verse 13? Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. 
He is Yahweh in the flesh beyond our comprehension. And no wonder we can't understand him. This is unconceivable. No one would dream. Uh, how, could we, how could we even consider that God would condescend so low to come and redeem us? Riding in on a donkey and going to a cross? Who would ever dream? Surely not us. We cannot believe that God loves us that much. It is beyond our comprehension. And yet it is true. No wonder he's a misunderstood king. Jesus is a king who is fully God and fully man. I wish we had time to go into all the verses. If you want to write them down, I can give them to you. Uh, John chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. All of them speak in detail of this God who became a man. This God who created the universe was the man who was going to the cross to take the punishment of our sin. What a king like no other. A sovereign king, a king that is fully God and fully man. And the third and last thing that we'll look at is he's a servant king. Riding in on a donkey. Showing that he is a servant, going to a cross, meek, gentle, and bringing salvation. That is why he rode in on a donkey and not a horse. What do you think Rome thought when they saw this king riding in on a donkey? That guy? That's your king? No worries. Let him go, right? Uh... Why? Because Jesus came humbly to bring salvation. That was his purpose. That was his mission. And this is why he's so misunderstood. All kinds of scriptures I could give you. Uh, we're out of time. But all of them proclaiming that the Messiah is going to come in meekness and humility to die for the sins of the world, uh, to, to bring salvation. And church, I want you to know this. He is the same as he was then. He brings salvation to all who call upon him. We call this the triumphal entry, but I want you to know something. It really is not. It is a humble, lowly entry, entry of a Savior who came to save us of our sins. There is a triumphal entry coming. Do you know when it is? It's at his second coming. His first time he came humbly and lowly, riding on a donkey, to bring salvation to the world as the suffering servant. He's coming back the second time. Revelation 19 tells us, not on a donkey, but on a white stallion in radiant glory. His brightness is brighter, seven times brighter than the noonday sun. And with the word of his mouth, he destroys all who come against him. Amen. He came the first time to save sinners, to restore what Adam and Eve destroyed in the Garden of Eden, to save sinners. The world, still under the sway of evil. He's coming the second time to restore the earth back to its Eden-like state, and I cannot wait. And on Good Friday, we'll see how he has done it, and uh, I look forward to going into that with you. Why don't you stand with me? You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. 
To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless. Thank you.